Hey, welcome back to the Fear and Trembling podcast. Uh, I'm Aaron, and I am with the kind of normal, same old crew around the table with, with with a surprise. But we'll get we'll get there in just a yeah. second. Again, Aaron, I'm the campus pastor at Watershed here at Heart of Wake, and I'm Bill, the celebration pastor. I may be same, but I'm even more old. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> One day later. <laughs> I don't have anything creative, uh, but I am JB, Campus Pastor Fusion. And I'm Darwin, the um, executive pastor here at the um, at the church. Yes. And with us to see this morning, or for this podcast, I should say, I have to get it oriented. Um, for this podcast, we have um, Dr. Um, Mary Vandenberg, um, or Professor Mary Vandenberg, who uh-huh. teaches um, theology at Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids. So we're excited to have you with us, Mary. um, (laughs) Live studio audience here. I've always wanted to use the buttons. (laughs) That was the time. None of the rest of us have ever said anything worth applause. That got applause. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't said anything yet either. But he's never added the laugh track. (laughs) Well, that's okay. Thank you, Darwin. I needed that encouragement. There we go. Smoking. Before we jump into our our topic today, um, creeds and confessions, which I'm I'm sure will excite everybody. Um, Mary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been teaching at Calvin Seminary for about 15 years. For 10 years before that, I was a student there. Um, and before that, I was a homemaker full-time. Um, I was a biology major in, in college. And, um, yeah, that's kind of my history. I've been married to the same man for 42 years and— have three children and eight grandchildren. I should say six children, three by birth and three by marriage, because really they're all my kids. Um, there you go. <laughs> um, so and and that's um, that's all my other jobs, I guess. Okay, mm. great. Well, it's really yeah. good to have you here, and um, I have to yeah, say that glad you're with us. I had um, I had an opportunity to serve as a colleague with Mary for a number of years, and um, became friends over that time, and so have just really always um, enjoyed her, enjoyed her perspective. So I'm really excited you can be here with us today. So, Thanks, Darren. Thank enjoyed you as well, as you okay. know. Well, good. <laughs> our friendship. So our topic is creeds and confessions, and I'm. Um, been trying to think, how do you get started on a conversation about creeds and confessions? And so um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, just kind of do a little imagination here, um, play this out, see where it goes, and um, just to get our conversation started. So here it goes. Are you ready? Thought, right. exper- yeah. thought experiment. Oh. Thought experiment. It's, it's always a dangerous <laughs> thing when you – are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> so thought experiment. Um, you're walking down the streets of Chicago. Or let's make it no, easier. No, sh- stick with Chicago. Stick hey, with Chicago. Oh, yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking oh. down the streets of Chicago. <laughs> New Orleans. Milwaukee, New Orleans, <laughs> wherever you want to. Okay. Um, and you have a microphone and you're recording and your job or your task is just to ask random people in the street um, this question. What do the terms creeds and confessions mean? What do the term creed and confessions mean? What kind of responses do you think you would get from the average person on the street in downtown Chicago? 90s rock band creed? <laughs> <laughs> Creeds would be associated with something old and out of date, is my guess. And confessions is caught in a crime. Mm. I'm Mm going to go with Mm. something like that. Yeah, at at least in New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think my first thought was, huh? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. creed is not a fair enough, right? And I, I mean, I'd like to think that people. No, right? I, I don't say it in a way that's degrading, but it's just not normal language. Okay. You know, I think even in Watershed, um, I think when I say creeds or confessions, I have to do a little explaining in our mm-hmm. church community of, okay, w- what is this? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it seems distance, seems past, seems just kind of like, right. okay, historical Christianity, mm-hmm. if they know something about it. Right. But, mm-hmm. huh? That's why yeah. I said like a 90s rock band. You know, there's pop cultural reference points like the Rocky movies, right? Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That yeah. might come to mind for well, many first. Then. The new three Creed movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the same as Aaron, actually. My first thought when you said that was nobody would know what I was talking about. Mm, um, okay. And I say that for some of the same reasons. Confession, like Bill said, I think they think about 
saying something about something bad they did, uh, some sort of, um, you know, being put on the witness stand and having to confess to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that one caught me. That yeah. was good. <laughs> but the creed, I, it's not unusual even in a classroom full of Christian kids, students, adults. Um, <laughs> Are you applying seminary students? <laughs> yes. Uh, but I would say, you know, young people, younger people as well, uh-huh. if, you, if we're studying the creeds, um, I'll say, what is a creed? And they might name some creeds. And I'm like, yeah, but what is a creed? Mm. Blank stares. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And these are students who are yeah. preparing. I right. Mean, right. Are only a couple years away from and probably could currently be in ministry. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think that most people don't have any idea what a creed is. Sure. That was probably me at the seminary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, Mary, how would you um, how would you, how would you explain to them what a creed and a confession is? Yeah, so a creed, I typically just start with the Latin word "credo," which means "I believe." So, yeah. it, a creed is really a statement of belief, and I often show them there is such a thing as an atheist creed, mm-hmm. and, and let them good. know that creeds aren't just Christian. That mm-hmm. in okay. some ways, all of us have a creed. Mm-hmm. You believe in something, um, and so what might that be? Um. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. We may not have thought about our beliefs, mm. but we're functioning with them. Yeah, mm. yeah. Right yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, whether or not you say you have one, right? <laughs> you have one, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it's like my mother-in-law. My parents-in-law were were they're Baptists, so they were raised with no creeds, no um, creed but the Bible, or no creed but Christ. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. And so There's she never heard statement. the Apostles' Creed, for example, oh, till she was in our mm. church. Uh-huh. And um, it was interesting. She said it was really neat. <laughs> 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 she liked it, uh, but didn't know it. And yeah. mm, so I think sure. I think even that that you've got whole groups of Christians that are not confessional or creedal. Um, and yet they believe the same things we do yeah. um, often. Yeah, yeah it, it, that, that's really interesting because my um, my in-laws were Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was very, very similar. No creed but Christ. Yeah. But then there were all these other creeds, yeah. these other belief statements surrounding it right. um, that they would never define or describe as a, as a creed. Right. But actually – in some ways, function more narrowly and more authoritative than things like the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. 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 So I think that's part of it. Um, when you move to confessions, I'll just say there's a larger, a bigger scope, or I should say it narrows in some ways. So the creeds mm-hmm. are these big picture things. Mm-hmm. Confessions move more to narrower groups. Um but they're still belief statements. They're right. summaries of Scripture. The the creeds are as well. Um, it's just they're not something that people made up out of the air, but it's what the church did to try to help teach people, here's what we believe. Here's what we believe, even though we say credo. Um, <laughs> I actually like the way the Nicene Creed is all in, in we pronouns versus I pronouns. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but But it is what we believe, and it's a teaching tool. At the end of the day, how do you remember what it is that it means to be a Christian? What do Christians believe? What sets Christians apart from Muslims, mm-hmm. Buddhists, Hindus? Name the group. Um, well, look at the creed. I used to even tell my kids that because, of course, we learned the Apostles' Creed in church just by saying it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to know who you're talking to, somebody's trying to convince you to come with them to their place of worship or whatever— um, listen for those things that you learned in this this little tiny creed, the apostles, mm. and you'll know whether they're Christians or not if they can confess to that. Something I started to think about as you were saying that, Mary, is in our culture that really values uniqueness mm-hmm. and distinctiveness, <laughs> it's an interesting, you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, okay. but it's it's an interesting way back into the conversation about creeds and confessions to go, you know, these are, in essence, expressions of our distinctiveness, our uniqueness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought about them as wise friends. Yeah. Right? Like, like hey, we go to people that we trust. It's us. It's not just me. But there's wisdom there. There's lived wisdom. There's, you know, 
they were set in a time and it, with questions and it wasn't just sitting in a room somewhere and going, let me just write this down, right. totally oblivious to the world around them. <laughs> right. Um, but the distinctive, when you use that word, the distinctiveness, the yeah. uniqueness, it, I, I wonder if it's not a good sort of way into the conversation mm-hmm. with folks who who maybe don't use the terms or even are wondering about, yeah, what do you believe? What are you about? Right. Things like that. Yeah. So I like that actually when you said wise friends because it it made me think of well how the how the creeds came about as you said they didn't just come out of thin air the church is wrestling with things in the first centuries and they decide together through some debates and some of which were fiery um, <laughs> some <laughs> about colorful what, right. conversations <laughs> what it is that they believe and. And I think when you say wise friends, what I think of, this is like a family, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think of being a Christian, these are beliefs that go all the way back, Mm -hmm. that you're part of this this group who affirms the triune God, Christ, as the only Savior, the Holy Spirit, as the ongoing presence of God in our lives. Um, You're part of a magnificent 2,000-year-old, I'll say, plus family because we don't want to ignore the Old Testament. But for now, we're talking about newer Mm -hmm. things. Um, I think that's distinct and and deep, I guess. Yeah, I find a lot of comfort in it. But I know that the culture that I'm speaking to – it's going to be a little bit strange. We live in a time of Mm -hmm, self-expression. And I'm taken by the corporate nature of the confessions and creeds. They identify me with people. And though I may say, I believe in, I'm saying that on a Sunday morning with a a hundred people. So it's very personal for each of us. And yet it's also, there's something very corporate about that chorus of voices in that moment, but also reaching across the globe and through history. And sure. it, it's getting that corporate part that it seems most challenging to me in our time. Yeah. Well, I think part of that, that corporate part is when I, when I look at creeds and confessions, there are explicit creeds and confessions mm-hmm. and the things that we say are in our tradition in the Belgic, conf, Belgic, um, cate, Belgic confession, the Heidelberg Catechism and the canons of Dort, which are probably the least favorite of most people. Um, <laughs> but um, in other traditions I've been, churches have been part of, it's been the Westminster um, the Westminster Catechism and Statements. Um, it's interesting to me that that there is this these explicit statements, but also within our church communities, um, there's implicit confessions, um, things that people just believe that they never really profess or say publicly. And the tension between having conversations with people with people about their implicit confession in light of the explicit confessions um, is really hard in this day and age. Mm. Yes, um, and and that has to do with how we understand authority. Um, and so, as we're, we're what kind of authority do confessions and creeds have? Because really, an issue in our culture is where does authority lie, and if authority lies with the individual, then the individual, it seems to me, um, the individual is able then to pick and choose what parts of the creeds and confessions mm-hmm. they like and disregard or ignore the parts they don't like. And and again, again, we can talk about what happens to community when that happens, when, that, sure. when that's acceptable. So what do you do with that? Well, the distinction in my mind that you're pointing to is one – do I perform a confession? Here's what I believe. Or does a confession form me, mm-hmm. the performative, uh, formative differential? And in a sense, by being in this corporate connected group, I'm expecting to some some extent at least it to form me. And, and that's a, a challenging thing for us to navigate, it seems to me. I really like the word Mary used. There's depth. You know, mm-hmm. and it's it's rooted in something, and to me that that signals like a strength, like mm-hmm. like it's it's solid. It's like a solid rock, you mm-hmm. know. Um, where you know, if it's just my beliefs, that's that feels a little flimsy. And I think a lot of people like we're experiencing that when it's just what I believe or it's my own. It's up to me to kind of uplift and prove these belief systems. 
it's a, it's kind of it becomes a stack of cards. Not I mean, but it, it can easily you know it's like there's something about this two thousand year plus years of of belief and creeds that it's like there's something weighty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Weighty. Yeah. Yeah. weighty. yeah. Well, and I think that 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 it is again to go back to that corporate. I liked what you said, Bill, that you're saying it with 100 people on Sunday morning, but you're actually saying it with the church worldwide on Sunday morning, mm. particularly if you say the Nicene Creed now and then. That's the more ecumenical of the mm. three that our church mm. affirms. Um, you're likely saying it with Christians all over the world every single mm. Sunday because it's – for the Catholic Church, it's part of the Mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Lutherans, um, either the Apostles yeah. is, or Nicene is said every single Sunday in traditional Lutheran churches anyway. So you think about that. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's kind of powerful to say I'm a part of this movement that's been going on through history. As far as the authority, to go back to Darwin's question, the authority isn't in the creeds themselves or in the confessions themselves. The authority is in the Word of God mm-hmm. and the creeds themselves um, – if you look at the early debates, what you'll see is these uh, folks that are talking about these things and trying to figure them out, they're rooted in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? From the mm-hmm. very earliest days, whether you're reading some of the first century folks who are just starting to try to figure out, who is this guy, Jesus? <laughs> I mean, what's <laughs> going on he here? Both? How yeah. can Yeah, what is yeah. this? Wow. We thought there was just this, this Old Testament God. What is this, you know? Um, so if it's the first century, but as you move forward and get into the different controversies, they're they're always looking at the the words, the witness of the apostles, mm. right? Um, that's even how they decided the canon that or received the canon. What's what's canonical? What's not? Well, the authority lies in scripture. the The creeds are authoritative insofar as they reflect scripture and mm. confessions and too. Yeah, that becomes more and more explicit as history goes forward. By the time of of the Reformation. Um, and I love to study the Bible this way. You start with the footnotes mm-hmm. that are scripture verses, and then you see, okay, that's what they're trying to say in that statement. Yeah. Um, and so that Westminster, that Heidelberg, that these are all footnoted uh, to the scripture is an explicit expression of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to seminary at uh, you know the other seminary. For those who are outside of West Michigan, um, in the CRC RCA, Calvin, and then Western. Um, but Dr. Kaiser in um, in our class, um, he brought up the Nicene Creed, and mm-hmm. and to kind of illustrate your point is to go. He said, "Okay." So I want you to critique this mm. and to see the look on some people's faces in our class. I mean, they were like, what are we, are we allowed to, like, <laughs> you know, where, where it was the sort of danger of going, this is now the Bible yeah. versus an explanation mm-hmm. of, and it was great to be able to say, okay, yeah. Is it saying everything that is said or it doesn't mean <laughs> to be said, you know, and it became when people, you know, for me, I actually, because I, I like to push the limits a little bit, I was like, sweet, let's critique something that's been around <laughs> since 300. I don't have any kind of issues personally. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but when people actually started to kind of let go a little bit uh-huh. and go, okay, yeah, is this what I would have said? Or is this how we would say, you know, needs to be said today? Or in, in that process – to see people's, I think, uh, respect for what was agreed upon and has been passed down throughout history that, I mean, despite all of the different ideologies, all the different world crises to go, wow, there's something here. And yeah, it doesn't say everything that needs to be said, but it's enough to help us stay rooted and grounded in the gospel, yeah, um, and into I think again with voices uniting us across, you know, ecumenically across yeah. denominations to go. We are one church under Christ. Right. So, yeah, it was just a it was a neat but fun and challenging way to watch people. <laughs> Wait, we're allowed to critique? We're going to critique this? Are we going to get kicked out? Or <laughs> Trick question, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just kind of to reflect on that because um, 
I went to a seminary not in the Western Michigan area. Yeah, I, or, I was from west of Western. I was at west, of, west, <laughs> west of Western. <laughs> Western. And, and, and I reflected on it was many years ago. Um, I remember learning something about the creeds in church history class. Mm. Sure. Um, but I don't ever remember them being addressed in a theology class. Mm. Hmm. So, you know, we learned about, you know, um, the Council of Nicaea and mm. the Nicene Creed that came out of that, and we were supposed to have read the creed. But that was really it. Mm. Um, there was very little time spent actually um, not even critiquing, I would say even engaging mm. Um, mm. The, the creeds and confessions in the tradition that the seminary was in that I came from. Sure. Mm. So, it, Which was fun being Presbyterian because I was hanging out with all the other Presbyterian students who were like, why aren't they talking about the Westminster? Yeah. Why don't they, you know— what yeah. is the chief end of man? I mean, what is the chief right. end of man? Just, <laughs> right, but there's, there's, there's a richness there that is, I think, uh, from a formative standpoint, which you were saying earlier, that, yeah. that as we struggle theologically with life or we have theological questions or issues, yes, Scripture is where we go, um, but the summation and the explanations that the confessions and the creeds provide also provide some just incredible resources for navigating Questions that we're wrestling with, um, questions like, "Who is Jesus?" Well, right. I, I can read that in the scriptures and and all that, but then to go to the confessions and to see how the church has understood who Jesus is mm-hmm. throughout history um, is absolutely um, an important important thing to learn and to wrestle with. Um, so, and it's, they're instructive too. Yeah, and it seems to me they're instructive in a historical setting as well to an extent. I mean, they carry through and across, but the Reformation creeds and confessions speak real straightforwardly to the questions of that time. Mm -hmm. And I've been real struck lately, the the idea of counter-catechesis, that Mm -hmm. there are Mm -hmm. questions in our culture now that we need to not only identify but train folks— reflect on to to deal with, both mm-hmm. catechizing folks in the 21st century, but unpacking through counter-catechesis some of the, the issues of our moment. Mm-hmm. I'd, yeah. I'd be interested, I don't want to put you on the spot, Mary, but like, who do you see doing that well mm-hmm. um, in today's kind of day and age of kind of offering a healthy, you know, faithful, um, just counter catechesis you know who or who's even catechizing <laughs> yeah well i think that's probably the better question is yeah. who's catechizing i right. don't think many are um yeah. it's striking when you end up a few weeks ago i was in my kids church up north which is a missouri synod lutheran church and the children's sermon that day was one of the lutheran catechism questions and i'm like it was brilliant. He actually did a wonderful job with these kids. But I thought, well, when's the last time you heard a children's sermon that was based on the catechism? He's actively uh-huh. teaching not just a Bible story, yeah. but mm-hmm. the teachings of the church on Sunday morning to these kids for a few minutes. And I'm going, okay, yeah, you can keep coming to this church. <laughs> <laughs> Grandchildren yeah. of mine. It was just fabulous. And I thought, so, but you rarely, um, I don't think our people sitting in our pews. Um, uh, in the Christian Reformed Church, anyway, anyway when I talk about ours, um, sure, uh, I don't think most of them are all that familiar with many of our confessions. They they may know the creeds. Um, other than the first question and answer of the Catechism, I'm not sure they know much else. <laughs> and when you talk about questioning, I mean, I'll pop it open here a second, but because I don't know the whole thing by heart. I stumble at a few places. But if you look at the um, first question and answer the que- of the catechism, which everybody loves. So so hold on one second. You say you stumble from time to time. Yeah. Wow. I don't remember it all, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people know it by heart perfectly. Right. And I, I, there's always a one piece where I, it's like, what is that again? So there's, um, gr- so there's grace. There is, I hope. I'm feeling better already. <laughs> like, you can yeah. come anytime you like. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things with, was sort of the challenging that you were talking about that I used to do with students. Um, I don't teach this um, anymore, I, uh, but when I taught the creeds and confessions, I'd always go to this because if there was one thing the students might know, it would be this. And even there, many of them didn't know it. Sure. Um, but people love this. Uh, maybe you know that even here. There might mm-hmm. be people at Hardaway just love this question and answer. Mm-hmm. 
What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop right there. Um, really? Do you want to be owned? Really? <laughs> I am not my own. Really? You're not? How do you feel about that? Mm. You belong. Do you know what that means? What does it mean to belong to somebody? It means they own you. How does that feel? I mean, I so that's sort of the anti-catechesis, right? Yeah. That yeah. here's the catechism, and you push back on that question because they've taken it so for granted, and it's so rich. It's like, right. how does it feel to be owned? How does it feel to be owned by Jesus? Does that make a difference? Why does Paul consistently call himself a slave, a slave. for Christ? We translate it servant, and it's like, mm-hmm. But that's not what he says. He right. says, I'm a slave. How do you preach that in the 21st century? Mic drop. I'm loving it. <laughs> I, I'm, loving it. I'm working on some things for our fall mm. that have just changed from five minutes ago. <laughs> or or maybe, maybe not changed, but just clarified maybe Yeah. yeah. In, in light of what you said. I'm, yeah. Well, and something that comes to my mind is, the creeds and confessions, if we allow them to, mm. that's that's the thing. If we allow them to, will will help us be humble. I think that's right. Right, right. in in a world where, again, do you want to be? Mm. But it kind of goes back, JB, to what you were saying too, with the depth and connecting that. If 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 we've really wrestled with me and my truth, or you know, you do you, and and then if I'm really honest, I'll find the end of that. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. a humbling that happens in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go, wait a second, this has been around for hundreds, if not over thousands, you know, almost now. Yeah, yeah, almost, you know, we're coming up to 2,000 years, mm-hmm. only a, you know, couple centuries away here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it, to go, w- w- wait a second. Me, myself, and I is a little blip on this screen. Mm. The billions of people who have walked and that humility, though, can bring us freedom, can bring us some security, can, you know, to to me, that's just something that I've been, has been processing in this conversation of yeah. like, this is, this is a gift we can give if, if used rightly, if understood right. in a healthy way. To go, folks, you don't have to live an ungrounded life or simply, right. you know, to maybe quote Jesus, live, living on the on the sand. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, right. and, it's what Bill is saying, though, about it being formational. I think this right. was incredibly formational, mm-hmm. right? right? So yeah. that it, it was meant to be. I it think it was. Right. And I think if, you know, if you take a little minute to challenge people when they do read things that are from, I mean, you know that from scripture, right? Mm-hmm. People, people hear the story of Jesus asleep in the boat in the storm at the sea and, 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 you know, they sort of are falling asleep because they know how that story is going to end. And then, you know, you, you may, picture Rembrandt. Right. That's you know, right. Yeah. And then you say something like, you know, they were terrified. It's not like, wow. There's a storm on the sea, Jesus is asleep. It's like, no, 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 no. You go out in some little boat on some lake, Michigan, in some big storm in your rowboat, and you tell me how you feel when Jesus is laying right there, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. they're running around trying to figure out how they're going to survive the night. Right. So let's get that picture into your mind. And then the Bible comes alive, too. It's like it's – and I feel that way about these, that this, the stories are all there, the story of who you are, of – who God made you to be and who he wants you to be in relationship to him. Mm. And just helping them see that again for the first time or maybe the second or third because maybe they forgot or maybe life's been rough and and it's time to see that picture of Jesus again. And, and I think those layers are so helpful. And I want to be generous here but because when I think about the no creed but Jesus – I don't think this is the intent of that. But, I don't think so either. Uh, but, but like, but I think the temptation of no creed but Jesus is, well, then I can fill in the gaps yeah. in whatever. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like that could be the creed of the modern era, you know, because yeah. no creed he, but Jesus, and then 
everything else I believe, that's yeah. what Jesus <laughs> yeah. And any Jesus I can think of. Yeah. I think that's it because, you know, yeah. the first question with the no creed but Christ is, well, then who is Christ? Mm. I mean, right. that right. begs for that question, right? right? right. Just you like I believe in that. God. Well, what yeah. God do you believe in? Right. right. Is it the Trinitarian God? Right. Is yeah. it the God who is the Father, who begets the Son right. eternally and sends eternally the Spirit? Is it that God? You got to fill in. You got to <laughs> so, keep asking the questions. So you're right. a spiritual director. <laughs> what spirit are you directing exactly. us with? I mean, these are the challenging uh, things of our moment for me. Right? Yeah. Well, it, it is kind of exciting to me, though, to think about that. That this isn't dealing with the creeds and confessions is not an individual journey, but it really ought to be a community journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In other words, it's in the community that we wrestle with these things. We explore the implications of them. Um, But in in another way, they also, which isn't popular in this day and age, they articulate some boundaries for the community as well. And um, so I've wrestled probably my whole ministry is how how do you do this? How do you do creeds and confessions as a community well? So that they're formative in nature. Um, so it's more than just instructive. I think it is interesting in our own tradition that um, that we mentioned earlier, the CRC, that the Sunday evening service was historically um, preaching the catechism. And, you know, part of me always wonders, I kind of get why it fell to the side. But I wonder what we lost when we just let it slide off into oblivion. Um, and it, and it fell off to the side for various reasons, not just because it was the catechism, but because of changes in our own society and culture. But yeah. what's lost when we don't help our people to, to wrestle with the nature of our creeds and confessions? I think one thing that may be helpful that I didn't say up front, <laughs> because we keep saying creeds and confessions, and they're actually two different things, right? right? The creeds are really yeah. the creeds of the church, big C, Right now, not all churches affirm them, but I think in whether in practice or uh, by implication, um, they are affirmed. I mean, mm-hmm. just say the Nicene Creed in your head, and you know that every church affirms that mm-hmm. Jesus is eternally begotten from the Father from before all ages, God from God, the whole business, Holy Spirit. Um, again, the Holy Spirit is God in the Nicene Creed. It's never named as God in the Apostles' Creed. It's a little quirky. It's because it's earlier. Um, that's why we had to throw the Athanasian Creed. Out. That's right. Get <laughs> yeah. that one going. Yeah. But, you know, so there is – those are much more broad. Right. When we start to say confessions, then we're talking about sort of like um, an, an in-house thing. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Those develop after language. the Reformation, mm-hmm. right? So the Lutherans have their confessions – the Reformed have a variety of confessions. Some of those are earlier. The Westminster is a bit later, so you see more development of doctrine in the Westminster than you do in, say, the Belgic, which is um, there's just a bit more freedom to think there than there is in Westminster. Westminster has pinned some things down because they've had a hundred more years to think about it, um, which is just fine. Um, but you do have to realize that the, the narrowing, sort of the family, the family discussion. Um, moves from the big family of the church down to the more nuclear family of mm-hmm. of the confession. Um, and and so I'm not real keen on putting them together because I think mm-hmm. the creeds are rather non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, you, if you say the Nicene Creed and don't believe it, you, you've got a problem. And it is formational to Bill's point. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think that's the basics. That is the basics of the Christian sure. faith drawn mm-hmm. out of Scripture. Anything that goes sort of moves away from those very basic teachings, well, we're not really even in the same extended family anymore, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you decide that Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, but only in sort of a Boltman style in the hearts and minds of his believers, well, you've now made a crucial error. Mm -hmm. You're not really a Christian anymore in a historic sense. Right. And nobody wants to say that. It's like, well, we all are Christians. It's like, no, you're not. Not if you do that. You make that move and you've just taken yourself out of this big family. But now when we move down to the confessions, now we're in our nuclear nuclear families again. And then, mm-hmm. yep. then there's some, like my Baptist in-laws, they're Christians. Now, sure. um, I will say that some of those fights back when, not that long ago, uh, 
we would sometimes accuse another denomination of not being Christian. Or my grandmother, me marrying a Baptist, she she didn't know this. But if she did, she would have said I married outside the faith. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's how they felt about their confessions, right? Right. She was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) My wife was having a joke a minute, and her parents thought she moved outside the faith when she married a Presbyterian. It was fairly typical, you know, a hundred or more years ago, still based on those fights from the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries. Um, so, um, but but we are, we, it is a different thing. It's a different animal. I think that, that distinction is really helpful. Yeah. So thank you. I, and I, the other thing I was just thinking of, like if someone from the outside was saying, well, that's so, that's so closed-minded, you think about, like even if it's not stated, all like the tribalism right now in our culture, there's unspoken creeds and their boundaries. And if you cross the line, you're out, you know, so it's, it's really, uh, there's a lot, uh, like, I don't you're know. You're canceled. Yeah. I don't want to say everyone. Yeah. I don't want to yeah, say everyone, but it seems like a lot of it. We do this, I whether think, we say it or not, we, we yeah. do this. I think that's such an interesting thing to say, JB, because um, a few years back, it was during COVID, but part of the whole culture wars, you still see them, but not as often. There were these signs in people's yards, we believe, and then there was like seven things, 90% of them incoherent if you actually thought about them. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I remember seeing all those signs, and my gut-level reaction was I could I, – whether I agreed with those or they were coherent or not, I could never put that sign in my yard. That is not my ultimate belief. I just, I mean, it was like, so I would walk my neighborhood saying the Nicene Creed to myself and feeling myself formed by, sorry, by those, (laughs) I just whacked this thing. You're not the first to hit the mic arm. You're all good. (laughs) But feeling myself being formed by repeating this creed every day Mm. when I walked the neighborhood Mm. and saw these alternate creeds. I'm Mm. like... That's not, you can say whatever you want, but it's not true. Keep the center the center. It, yeah, the main yeah. thing, the main mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm. And the Christian thing, the Christian thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, boy, are you ringing bells for me over here. <laughs> so let me – so one final question, kind of wrap things up. Um, Mary, you've set the um, stage for this very well. So if you want to add more, you can. Otherwise, your previous response was actually perfect and right in line. <laughs> Um, and, and that oh, is, do I get that applause again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you I was just going to get a yard sign with your smiling face on it and yeah. say what she said. <laughs> so, um, so it's really easy, and and throughout church history, I think I think we've seen it. It's easy to say this is how the confessions have been misused. But I'm kind of curious, as just kind of wrap up, how have um, the confessions um, formed you? How have they been a positive experience for you and, and, and your lives? Yeah, I think that's an interesting one for me because how they were used growing up was there was a lot of self-righteousness mm-hmm. with it. If I know this, I know the answer. And there is... It was a tribalistic mentality more than a community mentality. So, mm-hmm. you know, boundaries are good um, in the fact that they they tell us what's kind of ours and what's our neighbors. And then hopefully there's margins, mm-hmm. right? They create margins. It's just when there's a rigidity when we put up stone wall right. and there is no more. That was how I grew up with them, you know. So um, – when I finally began to learn, I think that's probably why the illustration of a wise friend mm-hmm. um, of uh, being able to go, okay, yeah, I think seeing the distinction of, you know, these three creeds are really, I mean, this is this is bare bones, the solid foundation of what Christianity mm-hmm. is and we're all about, okay, good. And then the confessions are these friends that have some history and some heritage with me and this is where I come from. And so they helped me. And this was partly by going to Huntington University, which was more of an Anabaptist mm-hmm. tradition, um, United Brethren, which um, mm-hmm. – and I'm one of few very reformed people, you know, and then being able to go, oh, wait a second. So kind of pushing what I knew aside and going, oh, I'm just tired of that. And then letting those come back in and go, wait, this – 
this groundedness isn't for self-righteousness. This groundedness is, man, I've got these help. I've got these voices. And while I may not always agree with them, um, while I may question scripturally, wait, I'm actually entering into what they did, what they did when they formed these things. And maybe they didn't always respond well. Um, <laughs> <coughs> Cannon's a dork. <laughs> uh, sorry, 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 I didn't say that. <laughs> um, but again, there, there, there's some wisdom. Yeah. Right. And like I think this summer when we went through the series on the Lord's Prayer and being able to bring in some of the question and answers of the catechism and go, mm-hmm. wait a second, you know, I know two out of those weeks, I mean, that was the content of the message because it was like everything as I was reading the scriptures was echoing. And then all of a sudden I go to the catechism and I'm like, wait a second. It just, I, I've, I know I've read this before. And, you know, and, I mean, I had to take the catechism three times in high school, you know, um, but man, my brothers and sisters need to hear the truth in this way. And this is better than I could ever put it. Um, so I think just along the way, it's it's just being able to go, hey, I know there's some people I can tap on the shoulders of when I'm wondering, when I'm questioning, when I'm reading something in scripture um, with different eyes When in, in being able to go, okay, and that rootedness, the groundedness gives me a little bit of a some, okay, <laughs> I'm not out there on my own. Um, okay, there's others who have maybe wrestled with it in a different way. Um, but there's just some wisdom. There's some help. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I my experience was different. You know, the church I grew up in, um, it wasn't grilled. It wasn't drilled. And, you know, we, we kind of alternated. So I had like two Sunday school hours of, or years of Sunday school catechism. So I didn't, so by the time I got to seminary, like I didn't know the catechism super well. I don't even know if I'd heard of the Belgic Confession. Um, and so there was, you know, kind of a, I don't know, I was kind of, I was more of an, 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 you know, an empty slate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just remember, I actually took uh, confessions with, with Wayne Brower, oh. uh, former, former pastor, pastor here. Sure. And, uh, and, and I was like dreading it. I mean, like this, this J term class where like the year before I went to Chiapas, Mexico, you know, it's like for my J term and now I'm stuck in a class where, you know, intensives and, and yet it, it was, it was fruitful and it, and he, you know, he, he, he taught it well and, and made it kind of come alive. And one that stands out is I remember reading, studying Belgic uh, confession on, on the sacrament and suddenly like, like there's more going on here. And and there was just this beautiful language. I'm not going to be able to memorize. I'm not going to be able to recite it. But there's just this beautiful language around communion and what that means. Mm. And and I remember just thinking, wow, there's richness here. So so kind of not you know n- you know no you know connotations with it. But then being able to step in. So it's kind of like a different experience. Sure. But mm. but there was a richness there. And then and then serving in the pastorate, question and answer one. Um, you know, particularly around funerals and, mm. and oh my, richness yes. and the comfort. And so. Um, that was kind of how the meaning kind of slowly mm. uh, got instilled in in my experience. So it's been rich. It's been good. Yeah, it's interesting. We're talking about confessions in our uh, history, in our lives, and a good experience. For me, I came to faith, uh, you know, as a high school student. I tell folks I was kind of living the North Carolina version of the movie Jesus Revolution. Mm. And so caught in this fiery move moment of God moving through youth culture and through the whole church, but I ended up being, through no plan of my own, uh, discipled in a Presbyterian church and growing up on the Westminster Confession Mm -hmm. in Christ. And to be able to tap into that in the midst of that season of authentic revival, I've been forever thankful for because there came a stability, a depth, mm. and some of it was silly. I mean, I'd, we were just learning about contemporary music. Some folks know my own background in that. The pastor would go, what's the chief end of man, that famous first question? And we'd go, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the band would come in enjoying him forever. <laughs> nice. But we were shaped by those things mm-hmm. even in the midst of that moment. And as I look back now – 
decades later and see who continued in Christ and who didn't. I want to tell you, I weep about it, but I'm thankful that I did. And I think part of it was that rich rootedness. Yeah. I think if I can add to what I said earlier, one of the things I like to share with my own students, but I'll share it with you and you maybe all know it already. Um, But the exposition of the Lord's Prayer, did you say one of you yeah. said something yeah. about yeah. that. We're in it right now. Um, so one of the things I like best about the exposition of the Lord's Prayer, which is actually typical of all the catechisms of mm. the era, yeah, right? They have three basic parts, the law, the, the um, creed, and the Lord's Prayer. And I'm trying to find the Lord's Prayer. It's after the law, before the law, after the law. After. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> question 127, I think, this week. Yeah. Um, when you start to look at the prayers, at the answers, those can be read as prayers. Yep. And mm. may, again, you maybe all know that, but I just try to encourage, in fact, I use them when we're talking about prayer in class, I use this in class to open class. And then I say, oh, that was from the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because it's beautiful. Yes. It is just beautiful. And yeah. I find it formative for myself when, I mean, it's one of those, you know, you use set prayers sometimes and when when you don't have words to say um the the exposition of the lord's prayer in addition to the prayer itself i i i found it very just a beautiful addition to my life um, beautiful words that god gives me when i don't have any mm, awesome cool for me i um like bill came to faith late in high school to primarily youth for christ in a, a church youth group um, I was in a Presbyterian church that was, um, how, how do I put it? The confessions um, were not primary. <laughs> um, and so I didn't even actually know what Presbyterians um, oh my. held to. Um, so it was just a broadly big Presbyterian church that downplayed it, its Presbyterianism. I first encountered the, um, the confessions, particularly in college, when I found them accidentally— because um, I was taking, um, I was studying Bible and theology at Taylor University down the street from Huntington College, and like yeah. Huntington College, not in a real confessional tradition. And I was taking classes and looking for guidance. And so some other students who were there from um, who were Presbyterian appointed me towards the Westminster Standards. And so I started reading the Westminster Standards along with my classes, trying to make sense out of things. So for me, my introduction was primarily an intellectual journey um, in, into the confessions. And it really wasn't till later, and particularly for me, um, the Westminster Standards on the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. um, really b- began to, to form me, and particularly um, to this day that, that Christ is the host of the table. Um, and I've, I've said this in, in celebration um, that is so ingrained in me. For example, when I do the Lord's Supper, I have a hard time standing behind the table. Um, I prefer to stand off and walk around the side. And when I walk around it, if there's room, I will make a loop around the back because Christ is the host. He's spiritually present, and I want to respect that presence. Um, and that really was incredibly formative to me in my understanding of, of the Lord's table and continues um, to form me in the sense that why I love communion and why I don't understand, um, I just don't understand why we have it so infrequently. Um, <laughs> you, so. you and John Calvin agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with you, man. So anything else anyone want to add on um, the confessions or creeds? Doing good. Yeah. Doing good? Okay. Mary, I want to thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Um, it's been great yeah. to have you, and you've um, brought a lot of light to this discussion and, and wisdom, and we really appreciate that and value that. And um, I'm sure that um, your students um, over the years have benefited from your instruction in this yeah. area, and mm-hmm. we thank you for your investment in them and for preparing them for ministry. Yeah. Um, it's great to have you here. Um, and I um, – are we going to wrap up here? Yep. You, you have the book title up. because I don't have it. I do. Um, oh, you... First, hopefully we'll get in the show notes for you some connections to um, our the creeds. Um, yeah. 
that really are shared as Mary shared, you know, widely and very broadly. And then our confessions kind of in our Christian Reformed um, kind of little family. Um, (laughs) Family. So you can check those out with some other articles. And next time we're going to be diving into the book Losing Our Religion. Um, Subtitle is An Altar Call for Evangelical America um, Mm -hmm. by Russell Moore. So... Um, yeah, Bill Darwin, you guys are a little more familiar with Russell Moore than I am. Um, can you help people know who, who is this guy? Boy, he uh, was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, had a denomination-wide presence in terms of reflecting on policy and engaging culture, who has recently stepped away from that and uh, has some very insightful, I, I think, things for us to reflect on in terms of what it means to live out the historic faith uh, in a very changing time. I I find him a a very good communicator, very thoughtful, very present in a lot of pretty challenging issues. Editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, right? Yeah. He's doing some stuff with CT Magazine mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it'll be an interesting conversation. I know we've talked this season. We were gonna, we're doing a lot of different kind of podcasts, um, but we said we would come back to some books from time to time. So, uh, if you're interested in diving in, um, certainly uh, again, Russell Moore. Uh, if you want to pick that book up, it's Losing Our Religion. So. Again, um, sounds like a song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but we'll work our way around the table. I'm Aaron. I'm Bill. I'm JB. I'm Darwin. Mary. Yeah. And we're going to give one more because you know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Class. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a joy, and uh, God bless you all. Thanks for thanks for listening in. Until next time. <laughs>